Hello and welcome to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 331. You won't believe Eddie's survivor pick. Welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Sam and Eddie. So, opening question, boys. Do you think John Gruden spits onto a mirror before he sends out his emails? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite entirely possible. I mean, what a swift fall from grace for him. And unrecoverable, right? I mean, this is one of those things, any hope he had of going back into the media or getting a coaching job or a sort of GM job or anything in the future. I mean, that all of those ships have well and truly sailed. Yeah, it was kind of who he targeted. That was a problem, right? What was it? The commissioner, loads of people in the media, obviously people uh, that were kind of hiring Michael Sam as well. It was all, yeah, he's burned any bridge that he ever built. Well, it's, it's no, it wasn't over for him. Sam, the big, I mean, he made a lot of mistakes and nothing he did was right. But the biggest mistake he also made was he was racist and sexist and uh, homophobic. So he, he ticked every possible box. There's no one left to defend it's him, the, really. The, the triple crown, the triple crown yeah. of yes. kind of abusive behavior. And he nailed it. Yeah, he is the sea yeah, biscuit of ruining his I career. I read a really good article earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I read an article, I think it was yesterday, um, talking about how uh, Carl Nassab and how he came out this year. And, you know, that when he when he came out, there was people saying, oh, he's doing it just for his career and, and the publicity stunt, blah, blah, blah. And it was a great article saying, like, no, this is why he came out, because it is still important, because not only are there people in – organizations that have these views they're his head coach you know like it's it's just crazy to to see and to read and it's what's crazy to me is just how long throughout these like it was a it wasn't just recently it's been some of those emails were in 2010 2011 2012 and just all that time you know nothing's really come out like this whole almost like second life or personality obviously he's had it's it's crazy i think that's the surprising thing right is that john gruden if you told me one current nfl coach has been has 10 years of sending or more of sending you know bigoted abusive emails i wouldn't have put him towards the top of the list he always came across as a nice friendly person and in part because of that a persona he a was able to build. A little frat boyish. A little bit. But the persona he was able to build on TV was so approachable that you wouldn't have thought that this would have been something he had there. And I do agree with you. The concerning part is how long it takes to leak out. But you also know that people receiving them are put in very awkward situations, even if they don't agree with them. And that because he is so high profile that trying to take him down if you think that the system is kind of on his side. I do think that the interesting thing is the backlash that the Raiders have received. 
and a bunch of people have come out and said that Al Davis would have never done this. He would have stuck by John Gruden. And that's, yes, he was a very old man, and I'm sure not all of his views were as progressive as they could have been, just because that tends to happen. Society moves on faster than people do. But he was also the first, he hired the first Latino head coach, the first female GM, right? The first uh, African-American, I think, coach. So he was someone who was progressive in terms of who he hired. So it's unlikely that at the same time he was secretly supporting people who had views that went against the the actual actions he was taking. All it does as well is kind of just kind of prove that all the kind of protests and the BLM stuff has been completely justified within the, the NFL, right? Because you've got this guy literally walking around talking about what was his classic line? He was like, I don't have a racist bone in my body, but yeah, he's talking about kind of lips as like the Michelin tires kind of thing on, was it Demarie Smith? I think it was the name. Demarie. I mean, sorry. Yeah. My, um, but yeah, it just kind of proves that all of the protests, all of the kind of um, cries essentially of being completely, you know, of, of kind of black people being completely denied opportunities within the league is fully justified. And then you look at kind of like how Kaepernick was kind of pushed down for kind of raising this. All it's doing is kind of just making people realize that the problem is exactly there. Yeah. And I mean, look, we even saw it, you know, you had England fans boo when England players have, have knelt. And then we saw England play Hungary a couple of days ago and the Hungarians lose their minds over the kneeling in response. So it, it, if you think that it's a real trigger for them, I don't get yeah, it. They get very upset by the kneeling. I mean, really, it sends them insane. And um, I mean, it's a shame that it didn't have this similar impact on the players themselves so that England could have actually won the match. The, the Hungarian players managed to stay cool, calm, and composed. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And that's the only criticism I've ever had of that movement is if the protest is not reaching the people you're trying to reach then it's not an effective protest even if the the reasons behind the protest are correct that's the only criticism i've ever had of you know have you got to the point where everyone who agrees with you likes it but everyone who doesn't agree with you hates it and in that case you're not really achieving anything by making the statement but you know that's something we've discussed already at length in the past but yeah it's concerning just to see that it's just systemic and not just outliers. Yeah. What's really concerning too, is that the only reason this has been uncovered is because his brother was employed by Washington during the time. So he is somehow connected and thus his emails were also part of the overall Washington previously known as the Redskins probe on their um whole work culture uh workplace thing with uh yeah originally with the with the cheerleading team and and all the allegations against the cheerleading team so this obviously came out someone someone leaked this because i i mean they had to have had an issue with gruden because i can't imagine this is the only thing that's going to come out of this if this is one random offshoot head coach that isn't even directly involved with Washington, there has got to be a lot more that's going to eventually make its way out that I think is going to be just as shocking. 
Yeah, it's like going back into that kind of whether it's systemic. It's the realization that he just did this freely over like corporate servers. And there was nothing kind of like in any way kind of like trying to hide the sentiment that he had. (laughs) These emails were getting flung around on official means, right? They were going to official people via official channels on servers that were very kind of like tracked and understood. So I can't tell if he's just an absolute, well, he is an absolute moron, an idiot, but I can't tell if it's just so easy for it to happen and it's so systemic that almost no one cares that it's been done online openly in a way. So I do think, I mean, the the email server aspect of it, yes, your emails are not private. And anyone out there who thinks that your work emails are in any way private, you're an idiot. And if they want to have access to everything you say on them, they can do. At the same time, I do hope that your your work is not monitoring your emails. So I would hope that these weren't being flagged for some reason. To me, that would be not more concerning, but of an, also a big issue. But the the challenge always is, is if someone receiving the email felt like this was a more isolated incident and if they were someone in a position where they couldn't really challenge him over it. And it does put people in awkward positions because you might think, all right, he's made a comment to me, but he does seem like his overall public image is a positive one and he seems like a nice person. So maybe this wasn't intended to be interpreted the way that I've read it or, you know what I mean? And I'm not defending him, but I can't understand why the recipient themselves might not immediately say, Hey, what's this going on? John Gruden's racist or homophobic. I can, you know, I've received emails and messages at work that I would think should get someone fired, but I haven't straight away reported them because it it does feel like maybe this is an isolated incident that I'm not going to be able to back up if I, if I suddenly made an issue out of it. Yeah. And that was actually brought up a lot on, uh, you know, on other media sources, you know, obviously John Gruden isn't a hundred percent in the wrong here, but where are the follow-up emails? You know, what was the tone in the follow-up email? You know, was the response, Hey, that's, that's really that's really racist. Don't say that. Or is it? Yeah, I hear you. You know, like the like, and and it's the truth. Like no one's seen it, and no one said anything. And and those people, not that they should be held responsible for what, what John Gruden says, but it is kind of telling of what type of environment this NFL is or was at that time. Maybe it's changed. Maybe you know, probably has not. But what the response and the back and forth with that would have been. Yeah, 100%. 100%. But should we transition then from one big leak to another big leak in the fictional world, which led to the very eventful final episode of Ted Lasso? So, of course, the leak which happened in episode 11. Yeah. No. What, what? Is so this spoiler, where we, spoiler spoilers I, spoilers I, upcoming I make sure yeah yeah if you have not watched yes, the final episode of Ted i thought Lasso. the better transition <laughs> i thought the better transition was just one asshole to another <laughs> sure yes yeah we, nate might not have quite made the john gruden-esque fall from grace he's 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 not looking good but he's pretty close which storyline? He's, he's not he's, far off. He he's starting to far. check boxes. <laughs> Which storyline from season, from episode twelve 
do we want to start with? I mean, we've got to start from the top, right? We've got to start with Nate. He's, uh, I mean, they've set up season three, right? That's exactly what it's going to be, you know, kind of yeah. Nate and Rupert versus um, Ted. And uh, I still can't remember her name. I've watched two seasons of this now. Rebecca. And I can't remember Rebecca. Rebecca. <laughs> I mean, there's there's the story right there. I don't remember his hair being this gray. No, that's but even part, that's, that's part of the transition. I've talked like, about this. That's, yes. If you go through the season, it's progressively been getting grayer and grayer as the season goes. And it's, people have likened this to kind of the Star Wars pre-trilogy, if you want to call it that, where like, he's going full villain. And if you go back and watch the season, you can see him progress from like more stages of his villainism, I guess, to that speech and the full blown because the, the the i mean the part we'll obviously get into what he says isn't accurate or true it's just that he's gone so far into being the the villain like the anakin skywalker that what he believes in isn't even true but he just believes it so much that it's shaping him you know because i actually pulled the speech up so we could go through it because it doesn't make sense you know like he's not seeing what's really there so uh, there's elements of how when he said so we're obviously skipping to the bowman which when ted lasso confronts him at halftime as they're about to go back out beside ahead of the f- second half of the final match of the regular season and he ted asks him why he hates him so much i kind of get the idea that he used to be the Ted Lasso's sort of special sidekick and that in season one both of the first season that Ted Lasso was a manager but also season one of the show he was very much a special assistant and a lot of the attention from Ted Lasso did fall on him and there's definitely been a shift of that with Roy Kent and entering onto the scene which is obviously what you know that's when you saw if you then look back through the episodes Nate when Roy Kent walks out onto the pitch, he gives that kind of side glare towards Roy Kent as he realizes this is going to take some of the spotlight off of him. I think there's a little bit of sense to what he's saying there. However, when he just loses the plot, it's talking about how hard he's worked to get there, how he deserves it. And we, we talked about this a couple of episodes ago when we dealt with season 11. He was the kit man two seasons ago. He's now a first team coach. That is he's now the manager of West Ham. And now he's the manager of West Ham. Seemingly, <laughs> this is meteoric by any standards. And what yeah. makes that even less believable, right, is he was the kit man under the previous owner. So the previous owner didn't give a shit about him. So the fact that the previous owner has then spent, I don't know a billion pounds buying West Ham and then and then decided, do you know who I'm going to bring in? I'm going to bring in that kit man I never paid attention to who it seems, <laughs> I don't know, came up with a one good idea against Spurs in an FA Cup quarterfinal. That's, I mean, look, the, the, the show has completely lost touch with reality, which is fine. It's the not faux park the bus. Yes. Yeah, the faux park the bus. But, it, yeah, it's so weird. 
Also, where's the yeah. where's the recruitment gone? You know, the idea that you know you'd sit down and interview. Go so Rupert sat down thinking of all these West Ham managers, and he goes, "No, I don't actually need football experience." And now we've got you know Ted Lasso's obviously in as well. Like, oh, we don't need football experience. It's like the concept of managers getting in on experience completely collapsed within this version of the Premier League where they're, they're more concerned about revenge against other clubs than they are the club I, itself. No, I don't think the Nate hire from Rupert's standpoint is a revenge thing. I think clearly he thinks he is the wonder kid. That doesn't make sense that he thinks that Nate, that Rebecca is some f- shot back at. The only way that would have made sense is if he had brought Ted Lasso in or maybe Coach Beard. If he'd done something like that, or even Roy Kent, those would have all been moves where you said, this is a real fire back at the ownership of, of Richmond. But bringing Nate in, no one's really going to care. But yeah, I mean, just incredible career transformation for him over the course of basically two years, right? I mean, just good for him. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's insane. I, you, You're right, and I think that's part of like comparing it to you know like the classic cartoon or or comic book villains is there is some truth into into their reasoning and it is true you know in that first season ted does treat him i think a lot closer and then in the second season there's not as much as that closeness but he's not pushing him away or abandoning him that nate kind of feels like he is he's just not giving him the everyday attention but he still is on the like it he's still on the coaching team he still listens to his advice you know like he's listening to when he's giving him strategy so it's not like he's not listening to him it's just i guess nate feels less appreciated than he did in season one but then when when you're right when it really gets bad as he goes everybody loves you the great ted lasso well i think you're a fucking joke Without me, you wouldn't have won a single match and it would have shipped you back to Kansas where you belong with your fucking son. You sure as hell don't belong here. I do. I belong here. This didn't just fall on my lap. I earned this. First off, not only did we discuss that his rise and ascent is amazing and he didn't earn it, but before they brought Roy Kenton, they were in last place. It wasn't him that won them games. It was when Roy Kent came that they then turned it around. With him, they were in last. They couldn't win a game. Well, it's not just that they were in last. <laughs> they were relegated the season before when he had this unofficial special advisor role. So look, there's elements again. Yeah. There's elements again there that are true. I would be fine with him thinking that Ted Lasso was a joke and for him thinking he knows nothing about football and that in some respects he is more qualified yeah. to be the manager of Richmond. I get all of that. There's, True. There, but but also yeah. saying, hey, it, it didn't just fall into my lap. I mean, it, it did. You were the kit man. Now, f- fair enough, yeah. being the kit man's hard work. So he's put himself in a football club and tried to be in and around stuff that was going on, but he didn't exactly show any. It's not as if there was a storyline that came out that he was simultaneously coaching some youth team or Sunday league team or that he had all of his coaching badges. I mean, you know, that all these different sorts of things that maybe would have set up for this idea that he had been this consistently overlooked, but a hardworking person who was just biding his time and waiting for his opportunity. And maybe if the show had wanted to create that image, they could have just done that. Just let us see that somewhere else he was working hard on becoming a coach, but instead it just seems like he was washing uniforms 
And then one day, this random man from America became the manager who didn't know what he was doing and realized that the guy preparing the boots every Saturday knew more than he did. Yeah. I I mean, when it comes down to it, I just think he's just in a bad person, you know, like, which I guess maybe is, is an accurate description. You know, maybe we're a little off by saying it's so uncharacteristic. Maybe he was just always been an asshole. I mean, even when you go back to season one, when he was the, the kit man, he wasn't really particularly a nice person. And even when he was promoted, he then was an asshole to the other kit man. So maybe he's just, I mean, maybe he is just a, a bad human <laughs> that seems to now have his, his uh, platform. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it was interesting. The part that really made me angry, like that speech made me really dislike him. But the ripping of the sign, come on, man. That's just so petty. Just so, so petty to rip the sign and leave it there. Unforgivable. <laughs> yeah. Shares furious. Did you see um, Nick Mohammed's uh, tweet where he offered like a massive set of like insights into kind of the, the kind of rise and fall, I guess, of Nate's? Did any of you kind of see it? He basically, it wasn't like, he had obviously done like a like a like a Microsoft Word and then posted it, so he had like loads of insights. Hold on, on. no free plugs. No free plugs. I mean, we're oh, talking we're... about Nate. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, whoa. Microsoft, the free plug. Microsoft. <laughs> yeah, Microsoft Word. It was just a, it was just a weird it was just a weird bit of he'd obviously done a Microsoft Word. It was just <laughs> strangely specific. Apologies, Microsoft Word potentially pages maybe google who knows yeah. but yeah he was offering some good insights version. if you'd even just said <laughs> yeah, word please, document, please upgrade to get the security updates if you'd even just said word document i would have found it less but it was just the he'd obviously done a microsoft word <laughs> he was mentioning how um so in it he was basically saying that uh when he like spat at the mirror according to Nick Mohammed, he's like a kind of, he thinks or hopes that what's happening there is because he's basically spitting it himself. He actually knows what he's becoming and still hates it deep down. So a lot of people have then fueled that there's going to be this kind of redemption for him because apparently Bill Lawrence said, it's only going to be a three season thing. So we've got one season to either redeem Nate or essentially ruin him. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Just to be clear, you mean the show is only going to be three seasons long. Yeah, yeah, this is a three season thing, apparently. So we got one season. You stop saying three season thing. The show itself is only three seasons, not the story arc, not Nick Muhammad. The the show is supposed to be three seasons. No, the show. Ted Lasso as a show is a three season run. I think, but I think it's the the story arc as they have it is based off a three season show. But I wouldn't obviously be surprised if they go longer than three seasons because it's so popular. Well, the redemptive... See what I'm saying. I mean, we've kind of spoken about, right, how does the show continue if Jason Sudeikis left? And the opportunity for the redemptive Nate story arc is, say, that Jason Sudeikis is leaving at the end of next season and the prodigal son, the wonder kid, returns Nate to take over the the club that he loves. So if you were to continue it and you were trying to envision that future without Ted Lasso, I mean, the the issue with that is just the name. 
it's the, they have made a rod for their own yeah. back by calling it Ted Lasso. But I don't know. I it at least gives some interest going into season three. I will say that. So the other story. Speaking lines. of interests, Roy and Keeley is the is kind of an interesting one, right? I called that one. I still kind of don't get it. <laughs> what don't you get? Is it going to be like what happened with, because we talked about with um, uh, Jamie Tart, where is this going to be a huge thing or is the next episode going to happen, which was the finale, and it's going to be like, oh, it's not a big deal, and, and like move on. And then at the end of this episode, you have the go on the vacation on your own kind of thing. And then we assume then that that means they're kind of going on a break, having issues, but then is season three going to start and it's be like, Oh, actually we're, we're completely fine. Vacation. was. I fun. think, th- I think they're done. <laughs> and if I were to be, I think there's a possibility. She, for example, the actress that plays her is in the new Justin Timberlake movie, also on Apple TV. And I think there's also the possibility, right? That she is getting cast in more roles outside of Ted Lasso and so then you always have that balance that a TV show has to have of well then we need to reduce her significance within the show and the perfect way to do that was she starts her own company outside of the club and she breaks up with Roy Kent and so now if she only needs to appear once every four episodes for five minutes then we can have that happen without it seeming strange that she wasn't an ever-present figure. I'm down for that. So is the realization that she's getting back with Jamie, but it won't be on screen kind of thing? Do you think? No, no, that would be completely. (laughs) That would go completely against the theory I just put forward. She, they can't get back together. I would say they resolve the idea of them getting back together when Jamie's excuse was that the funeral had made him have certain emotions that he doesn't think he really has, which is kind of fair enough. So other storylines. The Sam storyline, which I don't think any of us have particularly enjoyed. The the I, this whole deal got crazier and crazier as the storyline progressed. The idea that this eccentric billionaire was then attending the match, the transfer window was seemingly completely ignored. The decision as to whether or not the player was leaving was entirely up to the player himself. No talk of the actual fee involved. No incentive for the club to let him go. I know that he said an offer you can't refuse, but still, we never got to the, some sort of discussion about just how astronomical said offer was. Just nothing about it made sense that the idea he was going to be super tempted to go and play in Casablanca. The reaction of the billionaire might be one of the most laughable moments in the entire two seasons of this show. I just actually kind of laugh more in a good way. No, I think it was. I think it was so childish, pathetic, completely out of like. It it really didn't sit with me at all. That There's actually nothing about it. The the reaction, whilst it was extreme, I mean, it's on a comedy show, right? That's not set in reality in in really any way, as we've discussed before. The reaction kind of made sense that here he was, this childish character who had learned how to pretend to be a certain person, but had gone through his entire life getting exactly what he wanted. And someone was saying no to him. 
and he just reacted like a petulant child and started by now the question i really really hope that that was a two episode story arc for that particular character and that we are not going to see him reappearing next season with some vendetta to ruin sam's life and career because that will just be dull he's co-owner of west ham <laughs> also, no, no, he's he's gonna buy another club and just put like coach beer there <laughs> you always say coach happen. beer i think sam no i just think i don't say the d enough because <laughs> every beer. time i every time i edit the episode it sounds like you, you say know... <laughs> oh god there's so many jokes i could just go into my head i just can't take it <laughs> Wait, what like? I want to hear think, them. I think you... Because I don't know. I don't know what they are. I think it's related to the line, I just don't say the D enough, I'm going to assume, is where... Oh, you're going yeah. Gruden on the whole thing. Okay, got it. Oh, oh now you're going to... Wow, he's, he's got a little <laughs> nickname for us now when we just say those things. Do you know the part about the Sam storyline that really bothered me the most, though? Was when his father was saying, just let the universe decide. And his example was... He married his mother, and he bought Bitcoin in 2009. Now, if I'm not wrong, there was a mention before of when Sam was sort of in a position then to pay for his family to visit of as if he was bringing his family out of poverty. But if his dad bought even two Bitcoins in 2009, I'm not, not, to, uh, not to oversell the level of poverty in Nigeria, but say with a hundred thousand dollars, he'd be able to buy somewhere okay and have a somewhat decent life. So those two things make no sense. And also if in 2009 you were only buying two Bitcoins and when you had any level of belief in it, that would also be insane. So what do we think? I mean, I, I, Eddie, I have to give you credit. They partial, I'll give you partial credit. They did not, try to tackle the playoff promotion in any way they went right for the automatic promotion to the extent that uh, it didn't they didn't even they made it seem as if this was the final and it was either promoted or you were that if they didn't the only way they kind of did the weird twist was in setting it up that a draw was going to be good enough which yeah I kind of got because they had to put them in a 2-0 deficit. And then if they'd scored the second goal, you would have felt like there was a lot of momentum behind them. So it kind of put them into the situation where they could have the last guys uh, equalizer. Yeah, I thought I have to Theoretically, admit. I guess. Right. Oh, I just want to, I want to be really nitpicky about logistics. Theoretically, if they didn't get that one point, they could have tied at the next no it isn't inconceivable the, oh i hear it, it would be it would be three three four five and six have the same total points as them but they have a, a better, better goal difference. tiebreaker so goal if they difference. didn't get that point they would have dropped down the goal differential right it's not it's not inconceivable so it's a very, i it's mean a that, very narrow very it's, narrow it's, circumstance. i say it's not impossible <laughs> but yes it would be the most incredible looking table on the 46th match of the season where you have second to six separated by a single point and 
second having the worst goal difference. Now, them having the worst goal difference is believable because obviously the bad start that they had. So them having a, a terrible goal difference is, is kind of believable. But yeah, no, it made sense that they didn't go into that. I have to admit when Ted Lasso came into Rebecca's office at the end, I thought he was going to resign. I thought that was the moment where he was going to say, yeah, no, I kind of feel as if I've, this isn't my place. That the Nate talk about him not 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 being the right place for him and then the Sam conversation where Sam said, it felt like the right place for him. And I thought Ted was going to say, no, I need to go home. Didn't yeah. I had, I, I kind of felt a little bit of that as well. The, I mean, I liked the episode. I, my only thing I didn't really enjoy was the ending, the way they did that. What was it? Two weeks, six weeks, three months later thing. That was really choppy. I, I didn't care for that. They could have done that a little better. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, you just keep picking random time points in the future. It was, it was a little strange, but um, overall, I think it's it's good. It, it definitely sets up, I think, the redemption story for Nate down the line. I don't know how. It, the only issue is going to be a little difficult to get Nate on screen to see a reasonable and realistic redemption story when he's at a different club. How many times yeah. do you think they play West Ham next season? Oh, every possible. Times. Every, yeah. <laughs> FA Cup replays, League Cups, like they go, every opportunity. Maybe, not, not maybe Richmond, or maybe Richmond is going, un- undergoing renovations and they have to share the training facility with West Ham. <laughs> I mean, they're just... Nice Southwest Tra- London club going to fa- East London. Training facility, probably less likely. Ground share, I've heard of. I've not heard of many people long-term sharing actual training facilities because that seems <laughs> like you might just step on each other's toes, literally and figuratively. But They split the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just have more office moving around as another yeah. major plot point for season three. Yeah, you just have Higgins working in West Ham Stadium. But no, I, I do. It wasn't a bad episode. Overall, I feel see they did enough in see the end of season two to make me look forward to season three. It's just when season one ended, I was really, really, really looking forward to season two, and I felt like a show that I was really enjoying was now gone, and that kind of gives you that tinge of sadness when the ep- the finale happens. I have to admit, I had no tinge of sadness when I realized, well, probably no Ted Lasso for eight months or however long it's going to be but I did. well but I think it's a good show i'll look forward to it and when they come out with the release date and stuff i'll be excited and i'll be you know i'm not going to cancel my apple tv subscription but yeah it's not until you watch that other tom hanks movie <laughs> yeah i got the tom hanks movie and the justin timberlake movie and if i watch those on repeat twice a week it might justify the apple tv subscription so overall out of 10 what are we giving season two wait first what did you give season one? Oh, i think we gave a i gave it like high up a nine i gave it a nine i'll give this one six seven i'm, I'm gonna give it a six i'll go ten and seven i probably yeah, I'd probably say first half five. 
second half seven, so therefore six probably works. Can you know the other thing that bothered me from this episode? The Ghanaian billionaire sending, and I won't even get into the accents, which continue to bother me, but sending uh, Rebecca flowers out of condolence for her dad dying. But he met her after her dad had died, based on the sequence of the TV show, right? Like her dad had been dead for a couple of weeks. So it's kind of weird to meet someone who was a high a public figure so you would have been aware of the fact when he was researching her that her father had recently died the previous owner of the football club and then he dies and then a couple a few weeks after meeting you say you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna send that person flowers because a parent died before I met them. Very belated flowers. Yeah, several months after the parent died. I'm going to do that. Now, now I think about it, there's also that moment when, what's he called? Ed, Edwin Akufu, I think it was called, or something like that. The, the something like that, yeah. billionaire. Just, I mean, she's clearly in what is the equivalent owner's box or director's box. And he turns up and they're very surprised that he has two seats behind them. Like, that kind of surprised yeah. me as well. Like, oh, you're here in my personal area. Okay. Yes, yeah, yeah, in an area you'd have to be invited to be sitting in. But now, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what did we feel about Jamie Tart deciding not to take the penalty? I'm fine with that. And I, I kind of like that scene, too, when then Danny Rojas looks over and it's the little greyhound puppy with the little helmet on. <laughs> that was kind of funny. I enjoyed that. Yeah. It like brought it like literally brought him back full circle. I just hope that football is life. I hope that that's the final time we hear the football is life. Because I hope that we have the guy. Yeah, like, I, <laughs> I hope that we have the guy on who plays Danny Rojas. But I've seen a lot of interviews with him recently, and he relentlessly just speaks about football is life. But in his interviews, as if it's not just a sort of catchphrase that's been given to him in a TV show, but actually something he believes in, which it could be. I mean, he loves football but you see what i mean it's a bit strange same way that they are relentlessly putting the believe poster i've seen the believe poster at u.s men's national games at lafc games at la rams games the yellow believe with the blue on it i've seen mascots holding up the believe everywhere it sort of feels as if certain aspects of the show are reaching that cultural tipping point whereas a somewhat early adopter it's making me dislike it, but but now it was a it was a decent season. Were you not on the X Files? I want to believe. You know, would you not go and hold that up somewhere? Is it, oh, I'll do that as a throwback. Status? Yeah, that will be my counterculture to a Ted Lasso. So if you guys had one single prediction for season three, what would it be? Just It could be any story. I, I know there's like obvious ones like Roy and Keeley break up. or But if you could have one overarching theme that happens. In- I think Ted Lasso stops Ooh, I, being. I, I'll, I'll, I'll... Oh. <laughs> I think Ted Lasso stops being Richmond manager during the season. Okay. I was going to go for a random one. I was going to say we see a lot more of Ted's son in the next season. Like what a bold prediction. Holiday what a bold in, prediction. And is in multiple episodes. 
I've actually been cast as his child, so that's how I know insider information. <laughs> I'm playing an eight year old. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that eight-year-old's really been bulking over the summer. <laughs> oh, he's got a little mustache like Ted. They must be related. <laughs> In fairness, Frank, the level of facial hair you grow is believable for some eight-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said it'd be a good one. I could look like a mini younger Ted Lasso. <laughs> My prediction would be that they, on the last day of the season, they play each other for survival in the Premier League. Again, is this the show? They just keep yo-yoing between the Premier League. Well, yo-yo, actually, weirdly enough, yo-yoing is a very common thing for like promoted relegated sides. So I know, but as (laughs) as a plot in a TV show, it kind of gets old when it's the same thing. So season four, they're like rise back into the Premier League. <laughs> but we get to do that weird transition now from the, and use that same transition from the fictional American football coach in the you know, working in now in England to obviously American football itself. It was a smooth transition, I know. And uh, do our picks for the upcoming week. Oh, in England. True, yes, there is, a, there is a game this Sunday had it. in London. True. <laughs> Speaking of which, I noticed on Sky that there is actually a TV show dedicated to the Jags. It's just called like Jags NFL UK, and it's just following specifically them, obviously trying to grow the fan base in the UK with the extra coverage. Seemingly not working. It's not going well. Who's the who's the owner? The guy that owns Fulham? Um, something Khan, isn't it? I think who owns the Jags. Because he also That's tried who owns to, the Jaguars. Yeah, he owns Fulham and he tried to buy Wembley Stadium a few years ago. So it's all it's all pointing towards like that franchise coming over. But I also saw that they've green lighted um NFL games in Germany from like twenty twenty three. I think they've said that they're going to play a couple of games there as well. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely more kind of pull over to Europe for kind of getting a franchise over here, or at least kind of more media attention for sure. But um, obviously, exciting for me. It'll be the first time I've ever been to an NFL game on Sunday, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, you're going? Yeah, yeah, I'm going. Oh, nice. So look forward to um i kind of we were deciding which of the games and you know let's be honest kind of on paper they weren't the most attractive ones but we decided the jags just because like trevor lawrence number one pick the idea that you could see a potential you know future i don't know hall of famer star first season rookie season like it was kind of a cool idea to have so that's kind of why i went for this one over the uh, jets falcons are there just two this year I don't know if there's another round. I, I just know this is like I believe the first there's just of two this I don't year. I know if there's another two. I think it's just two, and then next year yeah, it's back. Yeah, that's the better of the two. Next year it's back to the four. I do like the idea that two teams that are separated by like a four or five hour drive are going 5,000 miles to play in London. <laughs> so before we start our week six picks, uh, I saw 
that nine out of the first 80 games have featured a game-winning score in the final minute of regulation or in overtime. So I'm sure that has gone in many people's favor and in many people's anger. And 21 of the games have been decided by three points or fewer, which is tied for the third most all-time at this point. And just to round it off, the last stat I have is that favorites are just 35, 44, and 1 against the spread. So the favorites are not faring too well against the spread. You might not be able to answer this question, but do you think that's because the bookies are not getting the spreads right or the favorites just aren't, or it's just a closer league in that respect that maybe the favorites aren't as good as people thought? Like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious because you know lines are done by bookies. Uh, sometimes there's that kind of idea that you, so like in the UK for example, England would always have uh, uh, kind of worse odds because more people are going to bet there, so it's a little bit more artificial than the reality. Like, is, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. I wonder. I, you'd have to see a little more into the stat and see. If they're close, you know, I mean, if they're getting it off by a point, then it's not so much the bookies fault. They're just a little off. But, you know, it would be interesting to get to dig a little deeper into it. And I wonder, too, if they're overplaying the home field advantage a little bit, thinking because of COVID, now that you are back to full stadiums, that's going to impact games more. Maybe it hasn't. Maybe they're over factoring in home field advantage. But I don't know. So before we make our picks for this week, I'll do the quick, the usual quick catch up on how things stand over the course of the season. For new, so for new listeners, every week we make our selections for every game, both money line and against the spread. Last week I went twelve and four money line, and eight seven and one against the spread. We had our first push, which was in the Packers Bengals game, and then Sam, you went eight and eight money line. And four eleven and one against the spread, and Frank, you did the same as I did. So twelve and four money line, and eight seven and one against the spread, which means oh, yeah. overall, overall for the season, I am fifty one and twenty nine money line, as are you, Frank, and then there's Sam at forty eight and thirty two. Uh, Frank, you are leading against the spread. You are forty two forty one and one against the spread. And both Sam and I are 39, 40, and 1 against the spread. So Ooh, it's fairly tight. game. <laughs> but last, you know, last year, Sam's collapse started in week four. And it seems like this year, Sam's collapse may have started in week five, unless he can stop the rot in week six. So come back to me in a decade, and you're going to have a really good set of, <laughs> like, weeks to pick for me. All right. Well... Should we get cracking them with the uh, Thursday night game? Yeah, go for it. So the Bucks are back on Thursday night. Brady's on prime time. So we've got uh, the Bucks at the Eagles, and the Bucks are touchdown favorites. So seven point favorites. I'm going to take the Bucks to win to cover. In some respects, I don't love the spread. Seems a little high to me, considering they're missing almost everyone from their secondary, and the Eagles are not terrible. So on a short week, I'm. I think the seven is, I prefer a little bit lower, but I just can't. The Bucks are very good at beating mediocre to bad teams. 
and they tend to have a lot of touchdowns towards the end of the game, which sort of increases the gap and they cover the spreads in games that looked closer than they were. Uh, so I'm going to take them to win and to cover, but it wouldn't shock me if the Eagles kept this thing close. Yeah, I'm not... I don't know. I I, I said I, I didn't really like the Eagles, uh, Eagles, <laughs> the Eagles and took the Panthers last week, but I'm not sure how much stock I put in that Eagles win. Um, I do think Brady will be able to kind of do a lot of damage against the Eagles defense. And I think Tampa Day, uh, Tampa, Christ, I've completely lost it. Tampa Bay's defense will probably do enough to kind of stop them pretty easily. But I agree with you. I, the Bucks do have this ability to kind of blow away teams when it's probably already done. But I, I'll I'll take the Bucks into cover. I just think it's kind of the safer side of it. You're forgetting old man Brady. So last year when the Bucks were on short rest, Brady was one for three with more interceptions than touchdown passes in those four games. So little scary that Brady isn't getting his full TB12 rest regime in, but I am not very high on the Eagles. I don't think they're that great of a team. And I think the Bucks will take care of business here. All right. Next up, you got the uh, 230 London game. Uh, Dolphins and, well, Dolphins at the Jags, and the Dolphins are three point favorites. Uh, you've got, what is it, the two longest losing sequences in the NFL at the moment. So Dolphins are on a five game losing streak, and obviously the Jags have the record at 20 at the moment. Which one of them is stopping that rot? I like that you say the 230 London game. It's specific to your time zone. <laughs> It's just it's not two thirty <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> is that not how time works? Like... Yeah, um, the early early kickoff, I guess, is the easiest way to explain it. I, I mean, I don't think having a strong opinion on this game is insane. I think, though, that the Dolphins overall are just a better team, and so I'll take them to win and to cover. But anyone who has a bet or any really strong feelings here is has a problem <laughs> has a problem <laughs> what type of problem is that a, a mental problem a gambling problem an eating problem <laughs> what is it <laughs> possibly all of the above <laughs> yeah <laughs> column a column b <laughs> yeah so jaguars are three and four in london miami is one and three in london so not Neither of them have a winning record in London. <laughs> so not a good start for either of them. Uh, Tua is supposed to come back, but I don't even know what that really means because he wasn't playing that great when he left. Uh, he was just completing 55% of passes, 70% uh, rating. So I, I agree. I don't, I don't love either of these picks. I'll take Miami to win, but the Jags have been keeping it close. And I think... If they got a chance to win, this could be the game. They're technically at their home of London, and they're playing a Miami team that is not that great. So I think with the points, I think the Jags will at least keep it close. So I'll take the Jags with the points. I mean, so wait, hold on. You're taking. In... Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're taking Dolphins to win, but the Jags plus three. Yeah. Wow, really threading the needle on this one. History would also tell you that very few London games are close. One way or the other, 
a team blows someone out and it's usually by halftime it's pretty much game over That's... one way or the other team blows someone <laughs> out i mean wait the the jacks kind of played at spurs stadium right so i mean call in london like the home game it's still a new stadium for the jags if i no, but i, I think right. it's less the stadium more the environment so you might have more the jags fan fans and also they're just they're more used to you know for the last few years they've traveled over twice a year so in terms of having people in place a a lot of their players will have done this trip before whereas that might not be the case for the dolphins and just from the staff point of view I mean, it's very different now, right? Because because of COVID protocols, they're only they're all now traveling over just on Thursday night, so they're only spending Friday, Saturday, and a bit of Sunday in London, whereas before they used to come and, and sort of spend a week. So a very different experience, and then a different challenge, obviously, from a jet lag perspective. Yeah, well, I'm I'm going to go against you. I'm I'm going to take the Jags in this one, just because. The last two games... The Who are you going against? against? That's what Frank said. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Sam, Jags. Sam, you are anyway, not doing I'm, very well right now. I'm going with the Jags. I'm just I'm just doing my own thing. Uh, I'm going with the Jags. Um, they are... I think they're playing better football at the moment than the Dolphins are. Like, I think that Trevor Lawrence has had... I think he's had his... Well, he's had kind of five games, but the the last two have been his best. And I I just think it's there for the taking for them with this game. So I'm going to go with the Jags. Oh, they're going to get blown out, and I can't wait. I cannot wait. Anyway, move us on. We've spent way too much time talking about this game. Move us on to the next one. Well, we got another cracker. Uh, Bengals at the Lions, and the Bengals are three point favorites. I'll be super quick here. I think the Bengals are an all around just better team, and they've shown positive signs in almost all their games so whilst i don't think they're good i think they're significantly better than the lions and so i'll take the, the Bengals to win and the Bengals to cover i thought you're gonna throw a curveball and then say all that and then go lions to take it it's um I, I i think the lions keep getting a little hearts broken which is a bit of, which must hurt but like you say i think the Bengals are just a better team on both sides of the world i do and, not want to um, know how john gruden would have reacted to the statement you just made <laughs> luckily he's not going to be on any sort of media anytime soon john if you're listening you can send us an email just uh send it over to the big chill podcast at gmail.com and uh i'll happily read it oh that'll be a nice little passage for this podcast now just reading horrible comments you get about minorities okay okay well we can't talk about ted lasso anymore so we can dedicate a slot there uh, yeah, I, I think the Lions will keep it interesting, but the, the three points kind of means I don't have to really worry about that too much. So, yeah, I'll take the Bengals into cover. Yeah, I'll go Bengals and to cover as well. I, I do feel bad for the Lions, but I think the Bengals win. I think I heard Bengals then. <laughs> we've we've discussed this before. It's just his accent, but yeah, it does sound as if he's referring to an 80s pop group. Um, Packers at the Bears, and the Packers are five-point favorites. Insane line to me. Absolutely insane. I don't understand how this isn't higher. I think the Packers are significantly better than the Bears. This seems like such a knee-jerk reaction to the Bears being semi-competent against a Raiders team who had probably totally quit on their coach last week and decided that they didn't want to play for the racist, misogynistic homophobe 
who was telling them what to do. So I'm going to say that the Packers, who have owned the Bears in recent seasons anyway, another take a big step towards winning the division, and uh, they win in cover here. Yeah, I fully agree with Eddie on this one. I think this is a major overreaction to not only a win against the team that was in disarray, but Fields looked okay, but there was a, I think, a pretty strong overreaction to his play, and he got destroyed back there. Like he was, he he was definitely injured. Um, whether he'll say he was or not, he is not coming to this game a hundred percent. I mean, he was getting knocked around. Um, the Packers, I'm not a huge fan of the Packers. I, I I don't think they're that great, but I think they're much better than the Bears are. Um, they won and covered the last four times they played them, and the average margin of victory there was twelve and a half points. So I don't think much is going to change there. I'm going to go Bears up, uh, Packers to win and Packers to cover. <laughs> what a curveball! <laughs> I, yeah, I agree. I, I think it's also, you know, it's an overreaction to like the Bengals coming close, but it's an overreaction to the Bears beating the Raiders. I, I don't. I feel I always feel with the Packers that they're not a very good road team. I don't really have any kind of. It's a feeling rather than actually knowing something statistically, but I always worry about them when they go on the road. But for me, the the Packers are just an altogether better team, and it doesn't really matter about the kind of style of the Bears defense or whether they've kind of Sam. Just stop, stop it there. John Gruden sending us a second email already. Move us on to the next game. (laughs) Wait, what was it? You know what? I I I don't even know I'm doing it. I may give meaningless stats, but at least I don't give meaningless feelings. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a brutal one. What's wrong with the feeling of them being whenever they're away on the road that you just don't feel like they're as good? I, I just have that feeling with the Packers. But anyway, I'm going to take them to cover. Uh, next up is the Texans at the Colts. And the Colts are 10-point favorites. I mean, I... I'll, I'll go on this one first. I, I think the Texans kind of finally showed that they had like a bit of a pulse um, against New England. They actually did something. But the thing for me is like the 10 points, the only reason the 10 points worries me a little bit is just it's a divisional matchup. And I just find they're usually a little bit closer than the kind of maybe the realities or the gulf between the two teams. So I, I think the Colts are just altogether a, a much better team, better quarterback. So I'll take the Colts, but I'll take the Texans to keep it close. Yeah, I'll, I'll be quick. I'm doing the same. Colts to win, Texans to cover. Uh, I just feel the Colts coming off a big Monday night game, uh, so they're on short rest, and they were that was definitely a, a really tough game. So I think they can win, but I don't think they're going to be able to blow them out right here. Well, when Frank says the Texans will cover, Texans will not cover. So I'm taking the Colts to win and the Colts to cover. I, I think the, the spreads very high for a Colts team that is not that good and Davis Mills did look better against the Patriots but yeah no I'll take I'll take the Colts to win and cover okay well Frank are you giving up on the Chiefs they're six and a half point favorites at Washington hold on you know what I you know what I you know what I always say (laughs) you always have to take the good team coming off consecutive embarrassing losses. If there is a team that has a worse defense than the Chiefs, 
it's Washington. They're letting up 35 points a game and to have just two turnovers in the past four weeks. So their defense is in much disarray as the Chiefs. The only difference say, is their offense is nowhere near as good as the Chiefs. You say that, Frank. You're a big fan of pointless, meaningless stats. However, a stat that stunned me this week is that the Chiefs defense is giving up an average of 7.1 yards per play so far this season. Just do the math on what that means. It means that they they are statistically never stopping first downs or touchdowns on every possession. And that's just, in, I mean, that's horrific. And I, I the only reason... I feel very, very confident about taking them is, yeah, this Washington team is not amazing. And also, this is basically a must-win game at this point for the for the Chiefs. Because if they lose this and results go against them within their division elsewhere, then they're in real, real trouble. So I'll take the Chiefs to win and to cover. Yeah, I don't know if I officially said, but I'm taking I, the Chiefs I to win think and to cover as well. <laughs> okay. Or make it a clean sweep then. Yeah, I, I I just think this is kind of too important for the Chiefs. But also you can't really... The Washington defense, it hasn't really turned up and it maybe isn't really what we expected it to be. So I think it's quite an easy one to pick the Chiefs in this one. So. See, I think what we might see here is what annoys me about uh, kind of just like the commentary on the NFL is we could see the Chiefs with now that they are playing some easier teams kind of run through a few teams and all you're going to hear is, Oh, the chiefs are back here. They are, they fixed their issues. It's like, no, they had a hard schedule and now they have an easy schedule. It's just a lot of it is schedule dependent. People refuse to admit that like the Denver Broncos are a great example. Oh my God, the Denver Broncos are for real. They played nobody and now they're going to start playing teams and they're going to start dropping and it's going to be, Oh, the Broncos lost their way. And it's like, no, you just have to look at the schedule. And I think, I think you're going to see that here. I think within four weeks, people are going to start talking up the Chiefs again, and it's going to be because they were playing some inferior teams. Nothing was really fixed. Uh, Chargers at the Ravens, and the Ravens are three-point favorites. Pretty good game, right? Uh, Lamar Jackson coming off a pretty phenomenal game. The Ravens, what was it, like 20 unanswered points against the Colts at the end of it, which is... You know, pretty crazy, pretty demoralizing for the Colts. But then, you know, can Justin Herbert take it? Like, what's what's people's thoughts on it? Um, this is a tough one for me because I think there's I have major question marks about both of these teams. But the Ravens are doing more to answer most of my concerns. The main one, which they've done twice now this season, is the if they fall behind, are they capable of catching up? Given the fact that they rely so heavily on their run game. And based on the fact that we saw the Browns just run all over the Chargers last week, I don't see how they're going to be able to stop what the Ravens do. So I'm going to take the Ravens to win and to cover. If Carson Wentz can put up 25 against Baltimore's defense, what can my boy Justin Herbert do? They might put up 70. They might put a 7-0 on that board at the end of the game. There is no stopping Herbert right now. I'll go Chargers to win and Chargers to cover. Although I will admit the Ravens, particularly Lamar Jackson, played an epic game on Monday night. That was 
amazing to watch how good he was on Monday, but it's not going to be enough against Herbert. Yeah, I'm really torn on this one. I think, um, you know, Chargers pretty difficult schedule. Ravens had a pretty difficult one as well. Uh, I think there's something the kind of I'm not I'm I'm really completely not sure actually. So I think because I'm not sure, I'd rather take the team that has the points on their side. So I think I'm going to take the Chargers and to cover. Um, Rams at the Giants, and the Rams are nine and a half point favorites. This is my survivor pick of the week. I took the Giants to beat the Rams. <laughs> uh, no, I. I a lot that obviously depends on the injuries. Uh, so Saquon Barkley is definitely out. I think Kenny Galladay is also out. Uh, but Daniel Jones, from what I'm reading, is going to play, which is I don't get it. You're playing top three team in the league. Why risk having a serious head injury versus you're going to lose either way, right? Like, I, I I don't get the long-term thinking of this. I, I mean, you can't even really salvage this season to begin with. So why risk his long-term health here? I think it's kind of stupid, to be honest. Um, the Rams are just too good on offense. They're too good on defense. The Giants can't keep up with them, and they're going to leak a ton of points to the Rams. So I'll take the Rams to win, and I'll take the Rams to cover. The only way I can get, I agree with you on the long-term versus short-term vision. The only way I can kind of understand it is if everyone currently involved for the Giants realizes there is no long-term for them unless the short-term is successful. And that's probably the position they are in from quarterback to coach to general manager. And so I think I can understand him wanting to play because if you're Daniel Jones, the worst case scenario is you get you don't start a game and the Giants beat the Rams, which look, it's probably not gonna happen, but your your career could end from that one hit, basically. So I, I yeah, I think the Rams I this feels like something I say regularly, but they're better everywhere in in every facet of the game. And so I can't imagine how the Giants will keep up from them, could keep up with them in the scoring department. So I'll take the, the Rams to win and the Rams to cover. Yeah, I think it's I think Giants got too many kind of injury question marks, injury concerns. Um, so for me, I think this is an easy win for the Rams. I think they'll post big scores here. So yeah, Rams to win and to cover. Uh, next up, uh, Vikings at the Panthers, and the Vikings are one and a half point favorites. And my understanding is that Dalvin Cook's back for the Vikings, but McCaffrey's back for the Panthers. Really, are you taking Cousins over Darnold with that kind of news? Does it change anything? Well, this is the classic continue to fool me bet because I'm going to go with the Vikings for the reason you just said. Do I want Darnold, who has six CD passes and six interceptions, or Cousins, who has 10 TD passes and two interceptions? Cousins is clearly the better quarterback. Um, McCaffrey, I think, is slightly better than Dalvin Cook, but Dalvin Cook is still a really good running back. And their offense is way better when he's in it. So um, he means as much to their offense, I think, as McCaffrey does to the Panthers. So I'm going to go with the Vikings here. And of course, I'm going to get burnt. So I'm going to take the I have one simple rule with the Panthers, which is I'm not I'm never going to pick them unless Christian McCaffrey is as I'm not going to say fully healthy, but I don't know if McCaffrey ever is completely healthy, but certainly healthy enough to think that he can have this level of production they need from him 
in order for them to compete and win. And it is still unclear how involved he can be on Sunday with his hamstring injury. So just because of that, I'm going to take the Vikings to win and cover. Oh, they're definitely losing now. (laughs) You and I are both on the Vikings. That's a loss. (laughs) Ah, see. I'm kind of with Frank's logic. It's kind of like, I think Cousins will be more reliable than Darnold, but I think McCaffrey is probably better in the kind of running duel. But I have a soft spot for the Panthers and it really bugs me. And I'm going to take the Panthers. I, it really angers me that I am, but I'm taking the Panthers. Um, next up, potential probable game of the week, right? You've got the Cardinals at the Browns and the Browns are three-point favorites. I don't know... I don't think it surprised me, but I know there's kind of injury concerns like Murray has got his shoulder and he's only limited practice at the moment. I don't know if you've seen anything relating to kind of Murray coming back or, but I don't know why the three points surprised me. In that you thought it was going to be higher? Just closer, maybe even kind of like one or something like that. Is it because of like that home field getting three points kind of thing? Is that? I mean, yeah, that's the usual trope. And I know that I say it, I don't know how true it is necessarily anymore, but yeah, that's the usual theory is that you get a three point bump as the home team. So they're basically saying these are two evenly matched teams in a neutral, in a neutral venue, which I mean, if this were turned into a playoff game being played, I mean, if they were in London, it seems logical that this would just be a pick 'em. So that kind of makes sense. If anything, I would have expected the Browns to be heavier favorites given Murray's possible injury. And for that reason, that's why I'm going to take the Browns to win again, because I don't know how reliable the Browns offense will always be. But I know one thing's for certain, they're going to be able to get to Murray. And if he's coming into this with an injury, he'll be leaving this with an injury. So... I'm going to take the Browns to win and the Browns to cover just for that reason alone. I will say one thing that concerns me greatly is the fact that I have so far taken every favorite to win and to cover, which is just never going to happen. So unless I I think I'm in trouble with so many close games as well That's kind of, I don't know if that's better for you or worse, probably worse if you're taking every favorite in close games. I think it gives you more of a chance of being right from a spread perspective, less of a chance of being right from a money line perspective. You know, like some of these teams, I'm picking the one and a half point favorite to win and cover. It's it's not really a, a bold statement if you think they're going to win. But, but yeah, there's, there's a chance that I have a terrible week, both against the spread and money line. This is a close one for me. Uh, I want to take the Cardinals, but the Browns need this game more. And I know that's so cliche to see to say a team needs a win, but this is a this is a must, not a must win, but you need to get wins if you're the Browns because you're starting to lose, you know, ranking in the AFC because the AFC is so deep. I'm still going to go with the Cardinals. I think they're the better team. Uh, I think that offense is super dynamic. Murray beat. Mayfield in 2019, I think they played each other two years ago, um, and Murray's gotten much better. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the cards. I'm I'm gonna stick with the with the home team. Uh, it's it's a tough one. It, uh, I mean, obviously it's a tough one, but 
the styles as well will be interesting and it'll be interesting to see who gets on top. Like the Cardinals play fast, they score quick, and then you've got the Browns who have got the run game to completely slow that down. Really a case of who I think will be on top of it. I think I'm going to take the Cardinals as well. I just think I just think there's a tiny bit more there. Um, the three points is kind of beneficial on that aspect as well. But I think, unless I hear something more about Murray, but I can't really add that as a condition. But yeah, I'll take the Cardinals and, um, and obviously to cover. Uh, next up, Cowboys at the Patriots. And the Cowboys are three and a half point favorites. Bill Belichick hasn't lost four consecutive home games since he was the head coach of the Cleveland Browns 26 years ago, but it's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm saying tomorrow because I'm hoping the podcast drops on Saturday. <laughs> I don't think it will. I think it's going to come out on Friday. But... Uh, the classic confusion, me saying 2.30, you saying tomorrow, really confuse them at when games are. Yeah, I, I I just do not think the Patriots are a good team. Uh, I mean, the only good game they played is against the Jets, and <laughs> the Jets are not a good team either. Uh, and conversely, I think the Cowboys are one of the best teams in the NFC. Their offense is too good. I know Belichick, you know, puts together great defensive strategies, but I don't know what you can put together to slow down this Cowboys team. Their their offense is just kicking on all cylinders. So um, I think the Cowboys are better on offense and I think they're better on defense. So I'm going to take the Cowboys to win and the Cowboys to cover. Yeah, I don't think, I, I think the three and a half is pretty generous on the Patriots, to be honest. I, I think um, it, it should probably be a little bit further away in favor of the Cowboys. I think, like you say, they're a bit of a machine on offense and the Patriots don't really look like they can probably post the yardage and points that the Cowboys will. So for me, I think this will be a good Cowboys win. So I'll take them and, the, and to cover. I saw a, a cool stat. So I'm sure everyone kind of knows by now, like Trayvon Diggs has had an interception in every game this season and actually has six total. Um, but an even cooler stat than that was he has more passes intercepted or, or defended, like deflected, than he does completions on him, which is crazy. In, in today's NFL, they said that that has never, no one's ever come close to that uh, statistically. So right now he's on pace for a, a pretty amazing stat. I think this is the, one of the lines that surprised me the most. It feels like this is a line that is thinking on the team, the Patriots used to be more than the team that they currently are. And the team the Cowboys have been in recent seasons more than the team that they are right now. The Patriots defense is all right, and that might keep them in this game, but this Cowboys team can score points, and this Patriots team really struggles to do that against anyone. And this Cowboys defense is also pretty good as well. So I'm going to take the Cowboys to win and the Cowboys to cover. I feel pretty good about it. Uh, do you feel pretty good about the Raiders? They're at the Broncos, and the Broncos are three and a half point favorites. Can you can you can you really take the Raiders at the moment, or is it one of those like in in football you have the kind of the boon from having a new coach or a change? Sometimes it can kind of um, kind of bring a bit of a, like a surge in the team, or is this all Broncos? You can take the Raiders. I'm gonna take the Raiders. I do think this is the bounce back. I feel like. They'll be highly motivated and 
as we know, I don't like the extra motivation as a reason to take a team, but they'll come into this really feeling as if there's been so much negativity around them for the past 10 days. And this is an opportunity for them to rewrite what the future of their season will be. Because if they lose this, the storyline of their season will just be how they were derailed by John Gruden. If they win this and get back on track and they keep their playoff hopes alive, then everything looks a little bit more optimistic for them. And fundamentally, I think they're a better team than the Broncos. So I'm going to take them to win, and I'm obviously going to take them with the points. Yeah, I will click the double down button on that for everything Eddie said. I do not believe in the Broncos and anywhere. Yeah, I think the biggest problem for the Broncos really is they just don't they just don't do it in the red zone, right? When they're when they're kind of close, they just don't put it in, and I think that's a big struggle for them. Uh, another Gruden one there, if you didn't hear it. Um, so we heard it. Yeah, good. Okay, I I think I, I I agree with you. I think there's a bit of a galvanized Raiders here that they've got an opportunity to really distance themselves, kind of change the the ebb of the last couple of games as well. Uh, and I think this is a pretty good game to do it in at the moment, considering the Broncos' inability to kind of convert when they're down the field. So, yeah, I'll take the Raiders and to to win as well. Uh, next up is the Seahawks at the Steelers. So my understanding is that Wilson's out, and the Steelers are five points. That's not just your understanding. He's <laughs> yeah. out for like eight weeks. Uh, yeah. You said that as if that's yeah. like some insider tip. Yeah. The guy Don't may worry, never guys. play for the Seahawks <laughs> again. There's a good chance he never plays for Seattle ever again. And that's your tip. He might be out this week. Might. Like, guys, I'm telling you this on like late Thursday, early Friday. Just keep it in your back pocket, all right? Because when this drops, it'll be big news. That market will move. So, yeah, five-point favorites to the Steelers. Frank, say it with me. Say it with me. The Steelers are back. I want you to say it with Let me. Let Gino cook. The Steelers. Oh, the Steelers are back. They are not, Eddie. This is. I, I. I have been waiting to discuss this game since we started this podcast. So I'm gonna let. I'm gonna defer to you first. So, this is my survivor pick of the week. It's. It's a bold move. I made the calculation that there is no other point over the course of the season where I will pick the Steelers. And so if I get through it this week, it means that I still have every other card in my pocket that I might want to play in the future. So I've taken a bit of a risk. I know it is a risk, but I have selected the Steelers. So I'm obviously going to take them here to win and to cover. My reasoning for doing so is I do think that the Steelers defense is good. I think that Geno Smith is terrible. I've watched Geno Smith play before. He makes mistakes. He can put together a good drive from now, every now and then, but he makes mistakes, and I think this Steelers defense will eat them up. This Seahawks team wasn't that good even before Russell Wilson went out, so you could make the argument that Russell Wilson wasn't playing that well, so is the drop-off that huge? I guess that's the only positive way you can spin this a little bit for the, the Seahawks, but I do think that the drop-off is massive, just in that how elusive Wilson is, and the plays, the big plays that he does make. So the only then big fear is Ben Roethlisberger. And can he make it through this game without completely blowing it for the Steelers? He managed to do it last week. I'm sure that there's going to be some ugly moments. 
I'm sure there's going to be a turnover. But I think that this is just overall a pretty big mismatch. And history also tells you, right, the Steelers don't have losing seasons. And if they're not going to have a losing season again, then this is probably one that they have to win. And I think they will win it, and they'll cover. Stat line one. Quarterback is 11 for 16, 150 yards, one touchdown, one interception, two sacks. Stat line two. Quarterback is 10 for 17, 130 yards, one touchdown, one interception, no sacks, and 25 yards rushing. QB2 is the better statistical quarterback. That is Geno Smith over Russell Wilson in the last game they played against LA Rams. Geno Smith is not that much of a drop-off. They're basically the same quarterback. That is the most disrespectful (laughs) thing. Wow. (laughs) No, of course they're not. But I I personally think... After watching that game, I watched Geno Smith playing that game. The Geno Smith we think we know is more of a representation of him being on the Jets and the Giants when they were absolutely pathetic. What an overreaction. What an overreaction to a player coming in mid-game and looking okay. Well, you know what? You're going to see a full game of it, Eddie. And you're going to... I cannot wait for the text messages to roll in about how this got screwed or that play is bullshit or this is a joke or my bet was still the right bet. That's going to be the great one. It was still the right pick after you get kicked out of Survivor. That's going to be the ultimate message you send. I'll say this now. Even if the Seahawks win by 70 points, this was the right pick. (laughs) It's why it makes me so angry that this is what you chose. This is such a bold bold survivor pick i cannot trust the steelers and honestly i'm gonna take the seahawks here makes me feel even better makes me feel better too because for the reasons eddie said i'm going with the steelers um i I think pittsburgh has its issues but defensively they'll get to smith and they'll kind of eat him up in a way so yeah i'm taking the steelers i'll keep it simple but yeah interesting shootout they beat the Broncos. Overreaction on beating the Broncos. No, I think I just the Broncos, reaction to Wilson. I think the Broncos are better than the Seahawks. No, I don't think so. Discuss. Mr. Clicky over there, we're going to get complaints again. <laughs> I can already tell. <laughs> To everyone who's listening and is annoyed by those clicking sounds, those are entirely and exclusively Sam's clicks. Well, you know... John Gruden, you can send a rude email about those and I will not complain. (laughs) It's difficult to go between muting, unmuting, writing down, clicking into another window. It's tough. I've got a lot on my plate, all right? And the last game, because of the buys, we've got the Bills at the Titans and the Bills are five and a half point favorites. I'll keep it short. In the last four weeks, the Bills have outscored their opponents 156 to 41. That is an insane <laughs> differential. I'm going to stick with the Bills to keep their to keep trending upward and to to stay hot. Number one scoring offense and uh, number one scoring defense. So, Bills to win, Bills to cover. Yeah, I think they're a much better team. 
and the Titans remain trash adjacent for me. So, yeah, I'm I'm taking the Bills to win the Bills to cover. Yeah, clean sweep, no problems there. I think you know both can put points on the board, but the Bills simply put have a good defense can kind of stop uh, the Titans and then put up points themselves. So yeah, I think this is kind of a good Bills win. Now, I guess before we do better the week. There's one other major sporting topic that I that we can discuss, and that is Kyrie Irving, who has refused to get vaccinated. Uh, he's one of their very few NBA players. When they had the big push before, they said the vaccination rate was at 95% within the NBA. A lot of the players who were unvaccinated have subsequently got vaccinated, particularly once. He is the only Knicks or Nets player to have not been vaccinated once it became clear that they would not be able to play within the state of New York unless in an enclosed right in an enclosed arena unless they were vaccinated the nets have then come out and said that until he is vaccinated not only will he not legally be allowed to play in New York they will also not allow him to play in road games where he could legally play that means that he the nets he will not earn half of his salary because he will not earn his salary for home games as it's his decision that is not making himself available. He will, however, be paid 50% of his salary as is the Nets taking the decision not to play him in games in which he could have been available for. The interesting thing about it is he has said he is not an anti-vaxxer. However, he is defending the rights of anti-vaxxers as he doesn't believe it is correct for someone to lose their job over a decision they make about their own health. So it's, he's, he's threading this weird needle where he both is claiming he believes in it as a concept, but doesn't believe in forcing people to do it, which I can kind of get where he's coming from. No, I don't agree with that at all. I do understand that there is not necessarily hypocritical to sort of say what he is saying, but a weird move from a guy who has had a career of slightly weird moves and strange statements. Isn't he, isn't that a borderline just political statement about the vaccination then? It's not, there's nothing to do with health here. He says he's not against it, but he's standing up for people that don't want it. That kind of feels political. I don't know if that's necessarily, it's not political. It's, it's political in the sense that it's about saying that it's, governments and employees and employers shouldn't be able to mandate things to do with your own health and body. That's basically the point that he says he's making. Now, the reason that's dumb is because governments and employers have mandated things to do with our health and our bodies for a long, long time and haven't had the same level of uproar. And certainly Kyrie Irving hasn't been protesting that for his entire career. So that's the only thing. It becomes more political, right? Because that tends, particularly in the U.S., there is a very Democrat versus Republican divide on where people fall on the vaccination and whether or not the government can tell you to get vaccinated. But I think his point is that it's not... It's sort of not about any party lines, the statement he's making, but more to do with just not being forced to do something with his body also he said that he's not retiring right he said he's still got like tons of tons of like playtime left but 
it kind of feels like would the only way he'd be able to play then would be to leave because that rule isn't going to go away and obviously the nets have said that he's not playing home or away so if he well, the rule the rule might go away there's two reasons the rule might go away one is that obviously if the pandemic situation eases they might remove the vaccination requirement because they feel as if we've reached herd immunity or at least the threat of non-vaccinated people is less so that's the one way in which the rule might be removed the second is there is the mayoral election coming up in new york and so there is a possibility that a new mayor may bring may get rid of this policy so there is a possibility now the interesting thing would be if the nets owner is very pro-vaccine anyway so the interesting thing to be would be even if they removed this mandate, would he stand by the fact that his team, if they want to play, if they want to be in an enclosed space, should be vaccinated? Because they have, for example, there have been moments where they could have done things to allow Kyrie Irving to be more involved, like they could have moved their training and practice, and they decided at a certain point that they weren't going to do that. That if he didn't want to, if he wasn't going to get vaccinated, then they didn't want him to be part of the team. So that would actually be the really interesting scenario. But there's a possibility. If not, he'll have to sit out his contract with the Nets and wait to sign for a team that doesn't, in a state where this isn't a requirement and with an ownership group and a, a general manager and a coach who don't care about it. Yeah, I guess it, for me, I, I think this personally just comes across a little bit of complete privilege, right? He's got an absolute ton of money to be able to kind of sit out, not take as much wage and be able to do this because he's sitting on an absolute bucket load of cash and still gets 50% is what is a fairly considerable amount of money. And I just think he has the ability to do this, you know, whereas if people do hold the same belief there, they don't have the ability, you know, like I think it's what American airlines have mandated that anyone that works for them, has to come back or they're not going to be paid anything because it's their choice and their affection you know that what their choice is matters to you know the choices that kind of are an indirect consequence of it so i just feel like he has the ability to do it because he has an absolute ton of money whereas kind of the average person who has the same thing thrown at them can't do it but doesn't doesn't he deserve more credit then in a way because it would be easy for him, and I'm not saying I agree with him at all. I don't think it's it's not a, a position I would take. But yes, it's one way, one way or the other, it's kind of a luxury for him. So for him to be so outspoken and to make his point, sometimes, right, we do the opposite. We criticize people who don't have a lot to lose for not making the, not standing up for those who have it all to lose. And I, you know, you don't want to be hypocritical in how that criticism falls. Of if someone does something you disagree with, then well, it's it's low risk for you anyway, right? Versus if someone doesn't do something you want them to do, come back and say, why don't you do it? It's low risk for you. So that that bit doesn't bother me. It's still a lot of money he's losing. Let's be real. He has a lot of money, but it's still a, there are some very big paychecks that he is not going to be cashing this year, plus sponsorship deals that he's. I'm sure there are, you know, part of his sponsorship deals will be based on aspects of performance, and certainly 
they might be rewriting them because of the fact that he is not playing and then also future sponsorship deals will be impacted. So he's leaving a lot of money on the table. He already has a lot of money, but he's leaving a lot of money on the table. Poor Kevin Durant broke up the Warriors dynasty to start a new dynasty with, with Brooklyn. And then his, his number two has just jumped ship on him. <laughs> Kevin Durant is in, he, that guy can't win anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. It's rough for him. It's rough for James Harden. It's rough for all the other older vets who thought they were joining some kind of super team. And look, their nets are still going to be really good because they still have Kevin Durant and James Harden and a bunch of other very serviceable players. But yeah, it, it definitely changes their expectation from being, I mean, they can, they kind of were poised to be fundamentally the favorites, assuming that they were healthy, to now they've got a chance because they still have two of the best 10 players in the league. But now they definitely need to be healthy. They, they also always had the luxury of one of them sitting out and them still being really good, whereas now they need both of them to be there in order for them to be that good. It, yeah, it, it it sucks for the Nets. If you're a Nets fan, this sucks. All right. Well, anything else you guys wanted to talk about or cover? No, I guess we can do... Did you... Before you do that, do we do the usual live update for a game people that will already end it and let people know that the... <laughs> Absolutely. The keep, Bucks, keep the confusion. The Bucks are already, the Bucks are already winning. <laughs> yep. Did you see Miles Garrett's decorations for Halloween? It was pretty good. I did not. So in front of his house and his lawn, he had he made like a makeshift graveyard and he has tombstones with quarterbacks on them. So so he's got I think I forget who he had on there. He had like six six different tombstones of like current quarterbacks that he's played already. And one that he hasn't. I think Mac Jones is on there that he hasn't played, but that they will play. So I thought that was actually pretty funny. Oh, we need to write down our better of the weeks, don't we? We need to make them. Yeah. yeah. You can sign off with that. So Frank, your, uh, your better of the week continues to lose. You've, you've yet to have a winner. You are down to, uh, this is not going to make for pretty reading, but you are now down to $40,000. Sam, we believe that you are down to... I think I'm on 90000 yeah. 90, And my bet of the week won last week. And I need to calculate what that puts my current pot at. Back in the positive, at least. But Frank... Do you have a winner in you this week? Yeah, which college football team are you going to lose with this week, Frank? I'm ignoring college football. Well, I think week. I think we said right last week that if you lost on college football last week, that it was off the table. Yeah. It's it's yeah yeah yeah. But surprisingly, college football, my teaser actually won last week. So if you give me six more points, I can get us a win. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to stick with the NFL. I'm going for a treble. I'm going Chiefs, Cowboys, and Packers all against the spread. That pays 5.8, and I'll go 10,000. 
Those odds are just getting a little bit higher each week for the same stake. <laughs> for a second, I thought we were going to have the same bet of the week because my bet of the week is going to be very similar, but I'm going to do Packers, Rams, Cowboys, Chiefs, but money line. And so that pays 3.62, and I'm going to stick 15,000 on it. Yeah, we're all pretty close to each other. So I'm doing Chiefs, Rams, Bills, Cowboys, and it pays 2.53. I'm going to put 20,000 on it. I feel good about this one. For once, Frank, you actually undersold your bet. It's 6.8, not 5.8. Oh, it's probably because the with or without the stake. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Just rare. Normally, normally you're claiming 300 to 1 on a 1 to 3 shot. So. <laughs> can I take, can I just do an antipost and put Tiger Roll not to win the Grand National? <laughs> sure, we'll give <laughs> you. I put the rest of my money on that? <laughs> yeah, but we're going to pay you negative interest on it. <laughs> Rolling up on Tiger Roll. Yeah, actually, can I just put it in like a in a low savings account, <laughs> low interest, just slowly click away the cents, get my number back up. I think that it's too late for that. <laughs> the damage has been done. I mean, at this rate, you're bankrupt by midway through the season, <laughs> which is. Impressive, because what's also impressive makes... considering I'm winning the against the spread and money line. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean you're, yeah you're fifty one and twenty nine against the spread, and yet you haven't managed to pick a winning bet of the week. <laughs> just if you stuck to your own logic, you'd be doing all right. Yeah, I say that to myself every Sunday night. <laughs> <laughs> Literally every Sunday night. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else? No, that about wraps it up. See ya. Cheerio.